You guys can go ahead and be seated. If you were not here last week, uh, I want to just let you know you totally missed out on uh, an awesome day. We did a, a day of worship, and we talked about some of the, the disciplines. Um, if you were like me, you may have meditated for the first time, uh, or definitely meditated for the first time uh, in, a, in a worship experience. Um, it was a lot of fun. We, we continued um, with our series, How Would Jesus Live My Life? Uh, next week, we're going to do a kids worship day, uh, and it's going to be a little bit different probably from what you've seen in the past. We're not going to have like five-year-olds up here singing or anything like that. They're just going to participate with us uh, down here at the front. If you've been uh, to Generation Celebration with us on a Wednesday night, uh, we're hoping to wrap in some of our students that are here uh, on Wednesday night through Team Kid and get an opportunity uh, to let them experience uh, the family of God. Because one of the significant things uh, that I think that maybe we gloss over and forget about sometimes is uh, here today and on Wednesday nights and everything like that, we have people of all ages. We have people with all experiences. We have people who are trying to figure out who Jesus is and if this is really what they want to do. And we have people that have been following Christ for 50, 60 years. All of those things together provide a unique and a different experience. And I think that there are many people, not only uh, in Murray Hill, but across the world today that need to experience family. And all that family is, and all that family is not. Because we unfortunately uh, have many kids, and I'll just speak from my uh, experience in education, that don't know what family's like. So, I want to encourage you to be here next week, uh, to invite your friends. Uh, It's about to be a really fast, fun time, and before you know it, it's going to be 2019. Um, But there's going to be a lot of awesome things happening here in the next eight weeks. And so I want to encourage you to figure out a way to get here and to figure out a way to get other people here um, because they're not going to want to miss it. Today, uh, we're going to continue with Matthew 5. Uh, We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, How Would Jesus Live My Life? And we are going to read Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. If you are using... The Pew Bible, that is on page 970. So, we'll pick up in verse 43. The subtitle here uh, is Love for Enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray For those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, 
as your heavenly Father is perfect. So I have to tell you, I know this is not going to shock you, um, but when I uh, saw how the weeks were running and that, that Pastor Doug was going to be out this week and I was going to uh, be speaking on Love Your Enemies, I was actually like okay with this. Because I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty good at that. Like, I can't think of anybody, like nobody jumps to my head that I hate. There's nobody that I'm like, that is my enemy, I can't stand them, I don't want to be in the same room with them, anything like that. Now, it helps that my emotional scale of 1 to 10 is like between 4 and 6. So I really, like, don't get super angry, super excited, any, anything like that. I kind of live right there in the middle, so that's probably part of the reason where I, why I don't have, like, huge, um, you know, hatred or any strong emotions or anything like that. Um, but I was like, okay, uh, love your enemies, you know, I, I can do that. But here's what I learned, shockingly enough. Um, when I started reading the verses and, and trying to kind of look a little deeper and, and reading in some of the commentaries, here is what I realized that I had been reading this verse like my entire life. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, do not hate your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's how it has been read in my brain. So I'll say it to you one more time. Here's the actual verse. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Here's how I have heard it in my brain my entire life. But I tell you, do not hate your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so what I realized is Jesus doesn't say, do not hate your enemies. Jesus doesn't say, ignore your enemies. Jesus doesn't say, tolerate your enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. Um, so we could flip that and, and we could kind of combo that with, with Paul. And, and Jesus is saying, be kind to your enemies. Be patient with your enemies. Do not envy your enemies. Don't get angry at your enemies. Don't keep a record of wrong for your enemies. I'm really good at keeping a record of wrongs for people. I, I just, I don't know. I have a great memory. I have the ability to think back on when this person said this thing. And I very rarely bring it back up to them. I just revel in my own joy of knowing that they probably know that they said this and they were really, really wrong. And I was really, really right. And I know it's, it's a terrible thing that I get, you know, happy about this kind of stuff. Keeping a record of wrongs. That is what Jesus is saying. We are not supposed to tolerate our enemies. We are not supposed to just not hate our enemies. We are supposed to love our enemies. And then, you know, so like it often does, completely blows up my idea that I was pretty good at that, because it turns out I'm not good at that at all. Um, but let's keep going and look at, at verse 45. We should do this, the verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children 
of your Father in heaven. The reason we are doing this, now this isn't like a make or break when you screw it up, you've lost your salvation or anything like that, but we are doing this so that the world around us sees, oh, okay, I get it. You're a follower of Jesus. I get it. You're a Christian. There is something so countercultural, so different, so even when I say it, like, okay, I'm fine, I'll love my enemies. Like, if you love your enemies, people are going to be like, dude, what's wrong with you? It's not something we see. It's not something we experience. We should do this so that we may be children of your Father in heaven. Verse 45, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus does this interesting flip thing here. The second part of verse 45, he causes his son, that's good things, this is S-U-N, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. So he's saying good things, his son, happens to evil people and good people. The good people get kind of stuck in on the backside. He causes his son to rise on the evil. He causes good things to happen to bad people. And the second part, he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, and Jesus flips it. He doesn't say evil first, good second. He says righteous first, unrighteous second. Because the two questions that you're often going to hear from people that are trying to weigh whether or not they want to follow after Jesus, you'll hear things like, why do good things happen to bad people? And you'll also hear, why do bad things happen to good people? And so instead of Jesus keeping the same tracking and saying good stuff happens to bad people and good people, and bad stuff happens to bad people and good people, he flips it. So I imagine the question existed 2,000 years ago that still is a question today. It doesn't make any sense. Why don't bad people just have bad things happen to them? Well, it turns out we're not God. It turns out that as much as we desire and we strive after knowing God, the more we realize, the more we learn, the more we are amazed at what we don't know and how much more there is to know and is to learn. And I will never claim to have read the Bible from cover to cover, um, but I do not have any verse references where Jesus says, you just need to understand everything I've ever said. There are tons and tons of verses about trusting, not about understanding. And that is not easy sometimes. Because for me, I really like people to explain stuff to me. Like there, there are people in my life that are like, I don't care. Just tell me what it is. You don't have to explain it. Stop talking. Just tell me. I'm not that person. Explain it to me. We are not asked to understand everything that happens. But we are asked to trust. 
Um, Jesus also, such an awesome guy. Um, 40, 46, if you, love, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? This is, um, if we were to take this into current situation, this would classify as a sick burn. So, like, what the people maybe around them were like is Jesus was like, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And everybody was like, oh, no, he didn't. He said, aren't even the tax collectors doing that? He got y'all. He got y'all. Because you know who the Pharisees never wanted to be compared to? The evil in, I don't, ah, tax collectors. And Jesus said, oh, you're helping people who are like you? Great. You're just as good as the tax collectors. And in the second part, he's like, oh, you welcome the people you like? Great job. You and the pagans are doing the exact same thing. Awesome job. It is really significant to Jesus And I think when we look around in our crazy, angry world today, it is really significant that if we are going to claim to be followers of Jesus, that we are doing all that we can to get better at loving our enemies. So, let's take this teaching and kind of try to put it in Uh, To modern day, it's the end of October, which means we're moving closer to the first Tuesday in November, uh, which means all commercials are even worse than they normally are. Um, But I think that um, we have to kind of see a divide here between the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of politics or, or where politics are taking us, because what politics do, or what politics does, politics, however the right way to say it is, you know, I'm a science teacher, not an English teacher, Um, it says, pick a side, and let me tell you how terrible the other side is. Liberal Jay Stuckey wants to take all your hard-earned money and give it to people who refuse to work. Conservative Jay Stuckey wants to keep poor people from feeding their families and help millionaires become billionaires. This is kind of what every commercial sounds like. They want to tell you how good they are and how terrible everybody else is or the opponent is. And it's not in Jesus' teaching about picking a side. In Jesus' teaching, it's about picking him. Because when you pick him, you pick love. When you pick him, you pick others. And let me openly and honestly and loudly say, it's super not easy to do that. We are constantly being yelled at and reminded and told over and over again, you have to pick a side. You have to pick a side. 
Pick my side, the other side's terrible. There's this new word that has been coming around, I guess probably the last two or three years, but I have really picked up on it the last six months. And I want to read you the exact definition um, because it um, is exactly what it sounds like, but I like definitions anyway. Uh, The word is echo chamber. It's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, Echo, hearing your own voice in a chamber. Nothing can come in and nothing can go out. An echo chamber describes a situation where certain ideas and beliefs are reinforced through repetition of a closed system that does not allow for the free movement of alternative or competing ideas or concepts. So it is you hearing what you believe over and over again without allowing any conflicting beliefs to come in. For a while, the church struggled with this. It was not okay to ask questions in church. This was the teaching. This is what you believed. If you were questioning that, you must be questioning the faith. You must not really believe. You must need to pray harder. Questions were not allowed. I believe we have moved past that. I know that we have moved past that here. I think that we value questions here. We want people asking questions because if they never get their questions answered, it almost seems like uh, it's the Wizard of Oz and there's somebody hiding behind the curtain and there's, there's something we don't want to open up and divulge. But it's when your questions are answered, it's when you begin to see how Christ can work in your life that you begin to make that connection with him. You begin to feel the draw of the Holy Spirit. It's when you have a relationship with Christ that is lifelong and that impacts you and that impacts people around you. So uh, there's two studies that I found kind of along the lines uh, of an echo chamber where you're not allowing other ideas in. You're just hearing what you think or, or what you believe. Both of these studies were on Facebook, which Facebook is um, kind of the epitome of an echo chamber right now. Um, but the first one is from the National Academy of Sciences. And it, uh, the researchers concluded active Facebook users were more likely to interact with a limited number of news sources, and the more active the community, the more polarized it was. So the less that you allow conflicting or different ideas into your space, the more you begin to pull in and the more you begin to polarize yourself from the world around us. The world that Christ has called us to minister to and to love. The second study is from Rantic. Rantic is a social media marketing firm. There are some... Sorry, this is completely off. There are some studies that you read and you're like, that's the most common sense thing ever. I can't believe anybody ever got paid to do that study. Um, I felt a little bit like this when I read it. Um, 
This is based on 10,000 active Facebook users who classify themselves as, as either Republican, Democrat, or Independent. 94% of Republicans, 92% of Democrats, and 85% of Independents said they have never changed their mind on an issue based on something they read on Facebook. What? Are you saying that really funny meme did not completely change your worldview? You don't totally agree with me now because I put 19 exclamation points in that 12-paragraph dissertation that I wrote on Facebook? That didn't change your mind? So we all know that we're not changing people's minds. So what are we doing? Why are we writing? Why are we debating? Why are we angry? Here's what I think. I think that we want to be heard. I think that we want to be known. I think that we want to connect with other people. So as followers of Jesus, how do we prevent ourselves from living in an echo chamber, from separating ourselves from our so-called enemies, from keeping a record of wrongs on the people who believe differently from us. I think based on that study that we just saw, step number one is that we need to listen. We need to listen to somebody who does not believe the same thing we believe. Now, I'm going to highly, highly recommend that you do this with someone you know over a cup of coffee. Because if you are someone who would classify yourself uh, as a liberal and you decide, I'm going to listen to um, Rush Limbaugh and see what he thinks about the matter. It's not going to go well. Find a friend, find a coworker, find someone, sit down, say, hey, why do you think this? And your job is not to debate, is not to explain to them your side of the argument. It is to listen. When you get done, I would wager, you're not going to be like, you know what, you are totally right. I was totally wrong. I'm with you 100%. It's not about you changing your mind. It's not about them changing their mind. It's about listening. If we know we want to be heard, guess what other people want? To be heard. They don't want to be convinced. They want to be heard. So let's begin by listening. Second thing, this is where I foul it up because I'm decent at listening. Second thing we need to do is empathize, not 
good at empathizing. We need to do everything we can to attempt to put ourselves in their shoes. To attempt to understand their experiences. You are not ever going to be able to fully grasp or understand somebody's experience who is different than you. But if you listen and if you empathize, it will move you closer to doing that. Aaron and I went down to Disney this weekend and we were listening to a podcast and the girl in there was describing this person who was was holding a poster. And they had the poster flat out like this and they were yelling, it's a six, it's a six, it's a six. And the person on the other side was holding the same poster going, it's a nine, it's a nine, it's a nine. And if you never stepped around to the other side, you thought they were a moron. But, When we listen, when we empathize, when we put ourselves to the best of our ability in someone else's shoes, they don't become the enemy. They become the person. It's much, much more difficult to think of someone as an enemy when you are sitting down beside them talking. It's really easy to think of someone as the enemy when you're watching them on TV. When you interact with other humans, when you are sitting across the table from another creation, it's much more difficult to think of them as the enemy. I think the third thing that we need to do, that we have to do, is pray. Because as I just told you, empathizing not high on Jay's skill set, not something I would put on my resume. So I know that prayer, that interaction with Christ, is going to be what I need to be propelled into becoming better at empathizing, to become better at understanding to the best of my ability someone else's experiences that they've gone through. And I think that if we were asked, do you want to be known as a follower of Christ or do you want to be known as a member of a political party, every single one of us would say, follower of Christ? What kind of dumb question is that? And yet... So many times, our actions, our, our words, our social media posts don't line up with that at all. Because it seems like the vitriol and it, it seems like the anger comes so quickly when someone believes something different from us or, or says something that contradicts our understanding. And so I think that Jesus meant for us to take him seriously. And I think as followers of Jesus, that we want 
to take him seriously. We, we want to be more like Christ. And I think if we begin with those three steps, with, with listening, with empathizing, and with prayer, we'll move closer to being excellent, to being a model of what Jesus asked us to do when he said to love your enemies. Let's pray.